1: Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. The great Dave Floyd will be joining us next week due to tech difficulties. Today, filling in for him our own Max Weathy. Here's what we're looking at right now. Uh, Markets looks like a lot of green on the screen, uh, but fractionally higher. Uh, Just more of the rally that we've seen continue to push its way up. It looks like the big mover on the day is the S&P 500. Uh, And by big mover, I mean less than uh, 25 basis points up, closing out the day at 4,496, up a little less than 10 points. Uh, Meme stocks right now are once again ripping. GameStop up 27.5% on Tuesday, that's almost 30% on the week. AMC up over 30% on the week. GameStop mentioned nearly 2,000 times in 24 hours on a Reddit thread. AMC mentioned over 600 times on Reddit as well. This according to a count done by Insider. Uh SEC Chair Gary Gensler reiterated his commitment to the US requirement that Chinese firms permit inspection of their financial audits. This, according to Bloomberg, Gary Gensler reportedly said, quote, the path is clear. The clock is ticking. Obviously, strong language coming from SEC Chair Gensler. Nonetheless, NASDAQ Golden Dragon Index, basically flat on the day, uh, up, however, almost 11% on the week, uh, so obviously still rising there. Max, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I can hear you, <laughs> Max. First of all, before we even get started, you get the award for the day for the trooper. You literally got the call like 15 minutes ago. Start warming up your arm in the bullpen. You may be on camera.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you guys thinking of me, and just glad I could could be here with you guys again after you know it's been a while. Yeah, we're like who can rock and roll on 15 minutes' notice? It's Max Weathy. All right. So, I mean, you, you touched on some some important stories there. Where do you want to start? Jump in. What are you looking at? You tell me. Well, I think the Gensler thing is very interesting just because, it, I mean, uh, looking at the uh, financials of US companies has not really stopped fraud from happening here in our own financial markets. So yes, it's it's great that they are taking a closer look at that. Um, but. You know, forensic accounting has has failed to turn up plenty of frauds in the past, so we'll see if that's much ado about nothing. Max, I um, love that you're looking at this with your usual rosy outlook on the world. Well, I mean, that's 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 what I would say. And then, yeah, the meme stock's very interesting. It does seem as though potentially things are a little different this time. Um, some of that momentum and energy that we saw in previous meme stock rallies just isn't quite there as well. Implied volatility hasn't spiked. In the same way, um, whether that is because people aren't dumping as much money in, and it's yet to come, um, I'm not quite sure yet. But it, it's not quite the same sort of fervor that we saw the last time, even with a lot of these moves. And there is some speculation about um, potentially, you know, shorts being having some of their money pulled, um, and and that short covering is yeah. potentially what is causing this yeah, hey,
1: Max, let me ask you this. you You speak in kind of a shorthand there when you talk about the meme stocks. I know this is something that you followed uh, when this became hot earlier in the summer. Give us the big picture for people who may not have been following it. Give us how you think about the meme stock phenomenon more generally, because I know this is something you've been looking at.
0: Well, I think some of the narrative has been wrong. Certainly, retail investors were a big part of it. But I find it hard to believe that retail was just pushing around the markets like this. And, and I look at it um, as more signal that comes in, that, that something is off sides. And that the the quantitative investors who can who can move fast and take advantage when when the the market microstructure gets kind of offsides like that, and they can really push markets around. Um, so you're talking about the the Reddit boards. You're talking about you know the times AMC or or GameStop has been mentioned, um, and certainly that has gone up. But um, I think that there's a little bit more to it than just the retail traders um, as well. Uh, I I think the I looked at it today, or somebody posted it that the realized volatility and the implied volatility from back um, in the original you know explosion uh, for for GME we got up to like over 400 um, implied volatility, and and when I looked today it was earlier in the day it was still down around 100. So that that's to give you some numbers to to understand the relative you know uh, pricing of the options on this. So. Um, but you know, it it could it could very well you know transform into something just as big or even bigger than it was before. But at this point, not quite there. Yeah, what's your take on what happened the last time? Big picture. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it it just you know I do think that retail came in and it's like a signal, it's like a vibration that went in through the market and then. Other firms, you know, with real big money accounts could then take that and the market makers are offsides and they can get pushed around. And and basically, you know, the the prices get pushed out further and further and further and further until, you know, there's not really any push left. And then retail gets kind of left holding the bag. Uh, but that would be kind of my analysis there. Yeah, you know
1: it's a complex trade because when you think about it, they are different, there's sort of different parties, different stakeholders, different interests. You've got the hedge funds who are net short by some estimates as much as 112 or 115 percent of the outstanding float in the stock. You had hedge funds uh, that went long to jump on uh, the trade that was getting pushed against them as the shorts were getting shaken out of the trade. You had the retail folks uh, on. The uh, Reddit boards uh, and and other places uh, talking about basically pushing people out of the trade because they saw that these guys were off sides. And then, of course, as you point out, you have the market makers uh, who had to rebalance and were risking the gamma hammer, as Rao often puts it. The idea uh, that as the hedge ratio started to
0: move, they were going to get whacked on that trade. So a pretty complicated sort of picture there. Um, You're missing one group, which is the group that I think doesn't get enough talk, which is the fast money. No. Renaissance technologies was not short going into was not short going into this. They don't count in that hedge fund short interest. But I find it hard to believe that firms like that, when a signal goes into the comes in that shows this opportunity, this misbalancing, and that they can push it around. Those people are not going to show up in the hedge fund short interest. So I think the fast money is what is missing from your analysis of the players.
1: Right. Yeah, they don't care either way. They're playing purely this as a momentum bet, right? And when they see
0: it, they just jump. Yeah, they're taking advantage of those changes in market microstructure. And there's things that only certain funds can do because of their uh, place within the infrastructure, their reinvestment into that sort of thing. It's not something that uh, everybody can play. yeah. I should
1: say, by the way, for those who are watching, jump in. Give us your questions. You can uh, submit your questions on the platform, uh, on the exchange, on YouTube, and of course, now on Twitter. You can message uh, me or tweet to me at, at @ash_bennington. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. So jump in and uh, and tell us what's on your mind. Um, we've got some early questions coming in. Max, is there anything else you want to talk about before we maybe jump into some questions?
0: Um, nothing in particular. You know, I, I have been obviously following. Uh, what's happening in markets. I'm certainly focused on on the oil markets, the bond market, um, and and the dollar. You know, the, the dollar came up against sort of a, a key area um around the 93 level. And it looks like we have reversed um somewhat there. You're looking uh, at the Dixing DXY yeah, yeah, dollar. Yeah, the, that's... the DXY. Uh, that's something I'm I'm tracking as far as what it means for commodities, the reflation trade, uh some of the the cyclicals that have that Performed well this year. Um, Hard for that rally to materialize if the the dollar keeps moving higher. But we did sort of bounce off of that important level. Um, So that that's one of the main indicators I'm watching. And then just what's happening with oil markets is just absolutely crazy. Uh, You've got. You know Biden asking for more oil, getting rejected by OPEC Plus, um, and then announcing sales out of the strategic oil reserve. Uh, clearly, politically, higher oil prices is something that they don't want. But their long-term policy is not really benefiting that. I know they shut down leases on oil lands uh, or on public lands for for oil pumping earlier this year. There's questions about whether they can actually shut down the the leases that are already out there. They can stop. New leases, but you know, to have that policy being implemented earlier this year and then having Biden asking OPEC for more oil, it's uh it, it's very interesting. Um, and even with the reversal in price that we've seen, you know, there's still, still certainly some some demand supply-demand mismatch. I mean, we're still, uh, we're still short there. So we'll see what happens with oil. But um, it looks like the breakdown, sort of the head and shoulders that was forming in. In oil and even energy stocks, it may have, may not have actually broken down. Um, so uh, sort of these almost moves are a lot of what I'm tracking and whether they come to fruition. Same thing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin looked like it broke out. Um, so let's jump in real quick on oil, just because give people a sense of what some of the price levels are here. And then we'll talk about Bitcoin and some of the other
1: cryptos uh, in just a second. Uh, but the rollover you're talking about here uh, is from a peak in July of... Uh, looks like uh looks like about oh just uh, shy of 75 bucks uh, a barrel on WTI rolling over last print CLI1 this is the generic first month uh future at 68 spot 27 uh this after the big picture roll up here from uh looks like a low near uh well under 17 bucks a barrel going back to uh going back to April that's a hell of a
0: chart that run uh from 17 to nearly 75 yeah, I mean pretty incredible what we saw and that 75 was kind of like right around the point that OPEC announced that they were increasing production still uh tiny compared to the the deficits we you know how how short we are of where we were pre-covid. So not very large and basically Biden asked for for more oil. But it looked like, you know, we might break down much more seriously and since then that has that has really bounced. So, and you mentioned Bitcoin, by the way, we should say now trading just
1: under 49,000. Looks like last print uh, on CoinMarketCap, 48,981 on Bitcoin. Obviously, this has been quite a bull run um, from roughly 30,000 at the low on the last cycle here in, uh, you know, just in July. Pretty extraordinary jump. What are your thoughts there, Max? Almost 20,000. This is uh, whatever that is, close to 40%
0: yeah, well, you know, so I missed the meat of the move there, um but we kind of consolidated in a range uh, between what like forty two forty eight. And then last week we we had a nice little breakout. so got back in there. um we'll see if it is a serious breakout or whether it is uh, another one of those sort of like false moves that that I was talking about in tracking. everything is is kind of like right at at very key levels. so we will we will see. Max, can we can we talk about this just between you and me? Yeah. You are this crypto skeptic. Are you trading this just because you love the all? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's well, and and as a skeptic, it's it's very easy to get long. Uh, if I were to get tell, short, tell me, about, tell me about that. That's an interesting statement. As a skeptic, well, it's just it psychologically, psycholo- It's like betting against your home team. Like if you win the game, you're very happy. Uh, if you lose the game, you made money. Um, so, as as somebody who's who's skeptical, you know, my my inclination is is that this is all a little overblown. But at the same time, might as well make money if I'm wrong. And so, psychologically, it's just easier to do that. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's not it's not rational to to have one side that's easier for you to place a trade, but just kind of recognizing that and where it's it's easier for me um, has made. Just made the emotional part of trading Bitcoin, which is just an incredibly emotional thing much, much easier. So that that's really what it comes down to.
1: Max, you're an incredibly complicated (laughs) man.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com
0: Yeah. Oh, well you said we got some questions what what are they what are they asking about um here's one this you know it's a it's
1: a it's a wide variety of topics here's one that comes to us uh for Colin ward This is coming to us from Twitter uh, at Colin underscore Ward, Uh, and the question is: This was one for that was meant for Dave, but uh, you're in Dave's seat, so you're going to jump in. Uh, What do market valuations look like when the effect of stimulus is taken into account? Any thoughts on this, Max? Obviously, this is a big and complicated question, talking about the interaction of fiscal policy uh, and markets, uh, and specifically the valuations of the U.S. equity markets with regard
0: to stimulus. I mean, I, I can't really. Put a th- there's not an equation in my head as to how stimulus is affecting valuations, but uh, valuations are are psychological in nature, and if people have more money, then it leads me to believe that they're willing to, to uh, pay higher prices for things. I mean that's that's pretty simple, but um no there's not there's not a, an equation in mind that you know for each thousand dollars of stimulus you should expect multiples to expand by you know. X amount so that that's not something that I think there is a a clear um clear relation.
1: Yeah, here's one that comes to us from Marcus Jones. Marcus Jones on Twitter, uh, and the question is: Has the meme stock crowd moved over into crypto as Weston predicted? That is a really interesting question. I don't bet against Weston. Weston's a smart guy. My sense is. Uh, and I don't have any data on this, but this is just anecdotally watching the news flow. What's fascinating to me is what we saw was the cryptoification of memes, or maybe the meme acceleration of crypto. It was the first time that I can remember uh, people who were involved in the crypto space talking about US equities, GME and AMC especially. And that was kind of an interesting and watershed moment to me uh, because you know, for, for my exposure to this markets, and I've spent a lot of time looking at crypto, folks in the crypto markets, when you talk to them uh, about stocks, they kind of looked at you and said, did you get that tip like playing golf with your grandfather? They just didn't care about US equity markets. And so, I think it's a really interesting question. We'd have to get some data on it, but I definitely seem... Uh, to be noticing that from a cultural perspective, there does seem to be uh, what I guess you could say is kind of an expansion or union of those two groups in a way that really, until uh, we saw this ripping on those GameStop stocks, on the AMC stocks, the meme stocks in general, we just didn't see. Max, any thoughts on this one?
0: Well, I mean, as somebody who doesn't believe that the retail audience had nearly as much to do, I think that kind of is conflicting with the idea that like the crowd has shifted. So I don't really think that it was the crowd that really pushed these things to where they were. And so I I don't think that the crowd could really shift or that they are the same people who are the retail traders who are trading this versus what I believe is the big money that was pushing it to its extremes. Um, If there was a place that they're going within crypto, it's NFTs. That is, I mean, that is the hot market. And if, if they were to have gone anywhere within crypto, it would be the, the NFT market. But um, no, I, don't, I with the way I analyze the situation, it doesn't really square that that's where they have moved. Um, as well, there's, there's more meme stocks now. They're more expensive. It's a lot harder. It's the same person who could afford to buy calls on GameStop like literally to afford the premium to put down is not maybe can't afford to buy it with GameStop up over 200. The the actual dollars that you have to put down to buy a call are much higher. So whether they've moved to crypto or not, I don't know. But it's certainly more expensive to be a meme stock investor on just a a, a notional basis than it was before. Yeah. Yeah, this is really an interesting point. First of all,
1: I'm never sure, Max, with the sophisticated, nuanced answers you give, whether I agree with you or not. I think that it definitely seems that there's been some cross-pollination. I don't know that I would say that it shifted, uh, but there's definitely been some cross-pollination between uh, U.S. equity meme stock investors on the one hand and crypto uh, investors/slash traders on the other. Uh, in terms of the notional value of these stocks moving higher, this is actually kind of a fascinating point because you actually see money illusion or price illusion having a practical impact, meaning it's it's really not so illusory, is it? If the notional value of the stock prohibits you from buying contracts that control hundred shares, you in fact don't get to participate in it. And so maybe the nominal value of the stock does in fact have an impact uh, on the ability of retail traders, speculative retail traders, particularly, to come into that space.
0: Oh yeah, and when we when the next meme stocks come to be, like I bet you it's a ten dollars stock, um, like you know i I bet you it's a ten dollars stock, the next stock that gets picked because I mean it's just if you assume the same level of implied volatility, the same out of the moneyness, the difference in price between a ten dollar stock and a two hundred dollar stock is the difference between being able to afford it with a twelve hundred dollars stimulus check and not
1: I perfectly said, Max, and so pragmatic and so true um. Now to go from the ridiculous to the sublime, let's switch gears here. I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about an interview uh, on Real Vision. This is uh, out today, actually, on the Real Vision Essential tier, uh, an interview that I did uh, with Rob Arnott, who is, you know, I think it's fair to say, truly a, a legendary investor, a researcher, analyst, writer, editor, all of those things. Uh, just a great interview. Let's take a look at this clip.
3: People always ask, what's the catalyst that's going to cause this or that bubble to burst, firstly, you don't necessarily need a catalyst. It's been 20 years since the tech bubble burst, and I have yet to hear a really compelling thesis for what the catalyst was that caused it to die. Uh, Was it the antitrust suit against uh, Microsoft? Was it um, uh, stock options that were um, gradually becoming eligible to be sold? you know, none of these sounds like the big deal that could burst what was at the time the biggest bubble in right. history. Um, but what about plain old gravity? Just got too high. And the same thing could apply here. The simple fact about catalysts is that whatever it is, it's something that takes the market by surprise. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a catalyst. And so it's a fun parlor game to guess what the catalyst might be, but- All you have to do is recognize that the market eventually seeks fair value. Now, momentum, among all of the ways of investing, momentum has the shortest life. That is to say, a stock that's gone up is more likely to go up than than down, but only slightly and only for a little while. So if you buy high momentum stocks, what you find is they outperform for about three to six months, then they roll over and underperform and they give back all of their gain and then some and finish underwater. This is the, um, this is the dirty secret of momentum investing. You better have a cell discipline if you're doing momentum investing.
1: Well, there you have it, Rob Arnott, obviously always compelling, always a great guest here on Real Vision. I thought it was a pretty interesting statement that he was saying, hey, look, you know, catalysts are really difficult uh, to catch because they're almost definitionally not priced into the market. Here we are 20 years later, looking back uh, at the tech bubble, uh, and we still can't figure out what the catalyst was. Other interesting point I thought was uh, compelling was this idea of how difficult it is to trade stocks on momentum. We were to talk to Dave Floyd about this. Obviously, Dave focuses on a shorter-term horizon. I think he's a day trader for the most part, and he also does some swing trading. I don't think he stays in a trade longer than two weeks. I was going to talk about this with him because it's obviously a very clear contrast against the views uh, of uh, someone like Rob Arnott, who is a long-term value investor. The other really interesting thing that I saw in that interview, Max, uh, was when he quoted the great uh, Nobel Prize-winning economist Harry Markowitz and said there are only two true free launches in Investing. The first is diversification. uh, And then the second is long term mean reversion. Max, jump in. I'm curious. Any thoughts on this? And by the way,
0: are you a mean reversionist? I don't have a good answer for you there, whether I'm a mean reversionist or not. I don't even know what I am. But uh, what you said about momentum and how that being at odds with Dave Floyd, I actually don't think so, because the caveat he gave is, unless you have an exit strategy. And I know Dave, and he is rigorous with his exits. And that is part of it. And it's like the old saying, that there are two trades, getting in and getting out, to every trade. And so many people focus on getting in, what to buy. And it's, it's the lack of focus on what to sell. And so much of momentum trading is just buying the hot stocks. It's very easy to see what's hot. But having a a way to exit those trades is the hard part. So, I don't say I don't think it's it's at odds with Dave really. It's just that he works very hard on the hard part, which is the exits. Um in yeah. terms of, you know, hey, long IMAX, hey, did I get did I get his timing right? Is he usually flat at the end of the day but stays in one to two weeks on some trades? I mean that sounds about right. I I don't want to speak, you know, specifically for him, but he's he's definitely a shorter a shorter term trader. Two weeks probably sounds about like the end of his.
1: I definitely don't want to speak for Dave either, but that was my sense of uh, his rough time horizon on the trades. We'll get to ask him next
0: week. How about that? Yeah, you'll get to ask him next week. But I mean, as far as um, you know, what he said about I think it's also very interesting because one of the quotes I picked up from the prior. Rob Arnott interview was what he said about the S&P 500, which is that it's a growth-tilted, uh, market cap-weighted momentum strategy. Popular so as, as much as he says that momentum is very hard, he does tip his hat to you know the index, which has been uh, almost impossible to beat for professionals and retail investors alike. And its strategy is, at its core, a momentum strategy. If if your stock goes up and it gets big enough, it gets added to the index. If you underperform, you get cut. It's not as fast as many of the momentum strategies I think he was right. referencing. But momentum does work, clearly, over the long run, as the the unbeatable S&P 500 is a momentum strategy.
1: I'm not sure I 100% agree with you there, Max. I think he might have been setting that up as a perspective against which to contra-trade with smart beta. But
0: I don't uh, know it it was a critical uh it was a critical comment but he does contend or yeah. he does concede that it is a momentum strategy. Yes. Um absolutely. Yeah, no, but I I definitely don't know whether I'm a mean reversionist. Certainly mean reversion in the long run works, um but how long is the long run? If you've been a mean reversionist, I mean, the Graveyards of the investing world are full of mean reverting value investors right now and you know the yeah. ones who are able to stick around might be vindicated but that's fewer than there were when they started out so being a mean reversionist although it is a free lunch it's not the easiest to eat <laughs> maybe not the largest
1: lunch. By the way, talking of mean reversion, uh, I think we may need to mean revert toward our 4.30 uh, end time here. I know we got stuck a little bit coming into this. But Max, I wanted to ask you before we ended here for the day, any final thoughts, anything that you didn't get a chance to bring up that you'd like to mention now?
0: Uh, Nothing too big. I think so many people have an opinion on um, markets going either up or or crashing at this point in time, and uh, I would just like to leave people with the thought that maybe the pain trade, the trade that hurts the most people, is that we go sideways for a little bit and chop around. Uh, so if you know have people say markets can go up, they can go down, well they can also go sideways, and that might be what's in store. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun thought to end with, Max. Yeah. Well, Ash, thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun to be back in the chair. Yeah, thanks for coming on,
1: especially in such short notice. And we will have Dave Floyd back on the show, hopefully, next week, as soon as we get these minor tech issues sorted out. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks for your questions on Twitter, on YouTube, and on the platform. Looking forward to seeing you soon.